Hi there, welcome to Living the Liminal Podcast. I am Christy Peck, an intuitive mentor, a spiritual guide, and the author of Coming Home, A Love Story. What if your wildest dreams could come true? There is this beautiful space between what is happening in our physical reality and what we dream and desire. In this space, we can find an uncensored peace, a true joy, and an all-knowing that there is so much more to life. Every week, my guests and I will show up and have conversations around living consciously in this space with courage, connection, and choosing to feel good, even in the uncharted and unknown moments. I am so thrilled you are here, and I look forward to sharing this sacred space with you. Hello, my friends. Welcome again to Living the Liminal Show this week. I am so glad you're here. Um, If you are a continued listener, welcome back. This is an exciting, exciting um, new season for us. Once again, I say this every time I know, but we have some of the most amazing guests always on this show. And I just get so excited being able to just have this moment with them to talk and to learn. I learn myself just like I'm hoping that you learn. And if you are a new listener, welcome. We are really glad you're here. Um, You will definitely be entertained and you'll be taught and you'll be inspired and you will just be delighted. it's always a whole bunch of everything on this show. And we never know what's going to come out. We just sort of trust that we're being guided in a way that's going to serve us all in the best way possible. Um, So this week, I am overjoyed to welcome my guest, Robert Schwartz, who is a a hypnotist. And I can't wait to dig into what what he does in that role. But he offers between lives, soul regressions. So BLSRs that really help heal, help people heal and understand like their life plan. So kind of like why you're here. And aren't we always looking for those answers, right? So why things happen and why we're here and, and what our purpose is. Um, He is an author of three incredible books that I highly recommend you you read or listen to. The first one is Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. The second one is Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. And the last one, the most current, is Your Soul's Love, Living the Love You Planned Before You Were Born. And he teaches internationally on the subject of pre-birth planning, which we are going to talk a lot about all of this. So Rob, welcome to Living the Liminal Show. Well, thank you, Christine. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Yeah, I, okay, seriously, like your books are amazing. They are filled with so much wisdom and so much storytelling that I think helps like this human part of us understand this big, thick concept. So before we get into that big, thick concept, I want to hear from you. How did this work that you're doing, how did it find you? Because we know it always does, right? It's that intersection. So how did it find you and and come alive within you? Well, uh, first, if I may, I'd just like to give out the website, which is yoursoulsplan.com. Yes. And if you're 
Yeah, if your audience goes there, they can actually read large excerpts from all three books for free. Perfect. Uh, so how did it find me? Uh, it's an interesting story. I, I have a background that I think is very unusual for the author of several New Age books. I was in the corporate world for a number of years. I have an MBA and I was doing freelance marketing and communications, basically corporate writing, which I did not enjoy at all. Uh, it was very unfulfilling, tedious, uh, and not a unique expression of who I am. And I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else, but I didn't know what it was. And I really didn't even know how to figure out what it was. So, you know, this idea that we plan our lives before we're born, the idea had come to me, uh, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know uh, how I would research what somebody planned before birth. I didn't know anything about it. And so, the first thing that happened is that I had a spiritually transformative experience where I was doing nothing more than walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon. And suddenly I was overcome by this feeling of pure, overwhelming, unconditional love for every person I saw. And I remember the experience very clearly because the first person I saw after this feeling came over me was a cab driver. He was just sitting behind the wheel of his cab waiting for a customer to come along. And I looked at this man who, of course, was a total stranger to me and just felt this pure, overwhelming, unconditional love for him. And when I say unconditional love here, I don't mean the kind of love you might feel for a parent or a child or romantic partner. This was an experience of divine love. It was a transcendent experience. So then I looked up and I saw a man's barber shop on the corner. I looked through the window and I saw the barber cutting a customer's hair. Again, two total strangers. But as I looked at them, there was this feeling of pure, overwhelming, unconditional love once again. And then I saw a young woman, a mother, pushing an infant in a stroller down the sidewalk. And there again was this feeling. Every time I saw another person, this feeling washed over me. Now, I had never heard or read about anything like this, but I understood intuitively what was happening, which was I was in some form of enhanced immediate communion with my own soul. It's as though my soul were saying to me, this love is who you really are. This is your true nature. And I believe that my soul gifted me with that experience that day, because much later, after I had looked at many people's pre-birth plans for the first book, what I found in the research is that no matter what was being planned, no matter how difficult or traumatic it might be, or negative, so to speak, the life plan was always, always based on complete unconditional love for self and everyone else. And so I believe my soul created that experience for me so that when I talk about it as I am now, I could say to people with complete confidence and complete certainty that I believe that we as souls are made literally from the energy of unconditional love because that was my experience walking down the street that day. And then not long after that, something else very important happened. I was introduced to a woman who has the ability to go into trance and channel her own soul. So I said to her, you know, this is really interesting because I'm thinking of writing a book about how we plan our lives before we're born. Do you think your soul would talk to me about this? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So she and I got together five times for a total of about 15 hours. She would go into the trance state. Her soul would start to speak through her body. It was clearly a different consciousness. And the soul told me in great detail how pre-birth planning works, uh, which challenges have been discussed for her, which ones have been chosen and why, which ones have not been chosen and why not. And so all of this information came forward that really in many ways served as the foundation for all three of the books I went on to write.
So between the experience of unconditional love and this other experience of this woman channeling her soul, that was enough for me to say, okay, there's something here that I really need to look into. I quit all the corporate work. I spent the next three years researching people's pre-birth plans. In this case, through mediums and channels who could tap into that kind of information. I became a hypnotist later on. And three years later, uh, Your Soul's Plan came out. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, the whole three years I was writing it, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if anybody is going to be interested in reading anything I'm writing. But I felt like I have to do this. It was just an overwhelming impulse. And then it turned out a, a lot of people around the world are very interested in this concept. So now I have a completely different and much more fulfilling life. Uh, and this concept of pre-birth planning is slowly making its way into the mainstream. Uh, the people who have picked up on this perspective I think they find it to be deeply healing. It helps them to see meaning in difficulties that otherwise would appear to be pointless suffering. And when you know what the underlying lessons are, then you can learn them in a much more conscious and much less painful manner. And that is essentially the intention of my work. Well, what I love about what you just said, and I believe it, is that, you know, we say this a lot on the show, and you and I both know in the work that we do, okay. We, we're, we're here in two entities per se. We are this very soulful, spiritual being that we're coming in to really learn and understand this aspect of us, right? That's the awakening process. And, and then we're this human self that is how we also incarnated in to understand this, this very human egoic way of living. And when you try to merge the two, it can cause a lot of confusion when you have these experiences or challenges or diseases or painful moments, and you, you're trying to understand them on two totally different playing fields. And, and in some ways, you're looking for how do they intersect? How do they converge? What's the big meaning? I think we walk around as humans looking for what's the meaning of what I'm doing here. And, and, and so I think the concept of pre-birth planning can kind of weird out some people and, and sort of frighten them. And then I think for others, you're right. It's, it's sort of a warming device for understanding, oh, that's what this means. Like this existence that I have that sometimes I don't understand has meaning and purpose. So let's talk, let's go through what, how do you define the pre-birth planning process? My understanding of what happens is that uh, the soul gets together, you could say, with uh, the spirit guides, ascended masters, and God or source or whatever term you want to use. And those beings discuss uh, what kind of incarnation the soul is going to undertake. Uh, and the intentions are to bring healing and expansion to the soul and also to be of service to others in the incarnation. So the plan is created amongst those beings, and then the soul creates the personality. The personality is a spark of the soul, you could say. Uh, after the personality comes into body, the personality is a percentage of the soul's total energy, uh, but it's not nearly all of the soul's total energy. So anyway, in the pre-birth planning process, after the plan is created, and after the soul creates the personality, then the personality is informed, here is the plan, 
This is what it's all about. This is what you'll be doing. How do you feel about that? And at that point, the vast, vast majority of personalities agree to the plan. They see the wisdom in it. They see the love and the service component in it. They're excited about it and they want to do it. But there's a very small percentage that start to experience human emotions of fear and doubt. And they're concerned, this might be too much. I don't know if I want to take all of this on. If you express doubt like that, you are reassured by your guides and your soul that this is for your highest good. And because you feel this, this tremendous, tremendous love coming from your guides and your soul, and you know beyond any doubt that they have your best interests at heart, most of the beings who express doubt now say, okay, I agree to the plan, let's go. But there's a small percentage of the small percentage who express doubt, who continue to express doubt and fear and say, this I think is too much. And if you continue to say that, then the plan is amended until it's acceptable to you. Bottom line being, nobody is forced to do anything that they don't want to do. Okay, so I read in Your Soul's Love, you said the personality is needed for the soul's growth. So in essence, the personality and the soul must have a willingness, right, to work together. Is that correct? That is correct from, from a pre-birth planning perspective. But once the personality gets into body and the ego mind becomes predominant, you know, the Course in Miracles says the ego speaks loudest, the ego speaks first. Well, it does. That voice that you hear inside your head, almost 100% of the thoughts of the average person are coming from the egoic portion of the mind, which is the part of the mind that is actually separate from God, separate from spirit, and really in opposition to God and spirit. It's separation focused and it's fear based. So it starts to put its own interests ahead of everybody else. And that, of course, is at odds with what the soul wants, which is connection, love, the opposite of separation and fear. So there's this dynamic tension that is created. And the spiritual path these days, as I conceive of it, for many people, is that we are moving away from mind-body identification or ego identification to soul identification. And a big step in making that movement is to come to understand that you are not the one who's thinking the thoughts, you are the one who is hearing them. And they are being thought by the egoic mind almost 100% of the time. Once you realize that, then you also realize, I don't have to believe a thought just because it crossed my mind. I don't have to engage with it. And I certainly don't have to act on it. And once you come to those realizations, then you really start to shift to a soul-driven life and that I think is where everybody is headed right now. So when, you, when you're in this soul-driven space and you're listening to the soul, you really are working together with your personality. You're allowing the personality to exist as itself and as it honors the soul's growth and evolution. That's one way of putting it. Uh, you could also say you are surrendering to your soul. But it's not surrender in, in the typical sense that we use it in our society, where it means you give up and something more powerful than you forces you to do something you don't want to do. Surrender in this case is actually a, a step toward embracing your true power because it allows the soul to take over. Okay. 
So you also talked about, and this goes in line, I think, with the personality that being here on earth is, it's, it takes a lot of courage to live in that personality, right? Because the personality, that ego mind, I mean, it can run, it can wreak havoc on your life. Well, and it pretty much does in everybody's life. And it will do that for an entire lifetime unless you get on a spiritual path and start to realize what is actually going on here. Uh, but I think when you surrender to the intentions of your soul and you lead a soul-guided, a soul-driven life, uh, you know, the egoic mind is still there, but it's put in its proper place. You, you lead more with your heart and you let the egoic mind just focus on whatever it wants to focus on without taking it so seriously and without letting it drive your behavior. That's the key thing. So what if someone is not willing? Like, what if someone, you know, we you, you just said, like, get on a spiritual path. That really can mean a whole lot of stuff nowadays. Um, and most people are on a path. And I think that maybe spirituality comes out of like their first experience, like in a church or in a synagogue or in some sort of religious order, you know, but when you talk about get on a spiritual path, that's not what you're talking. You're not talking about going in that, in that way. Not at all. To me, religion and spirituality are two completely different things. Certainly they can overlap, but uh, very often they don't. I'm talking about leading a spiritual life, which could be religious, which might not be religious. It doesn't really matter. Um, and everybody, and I think this is an important point, everybody is on a spiritual path, whether they know it or not. You can't not be on a spiritual path. You can simply be unaware of the fact that you're on a spiritual path. Okay, because we are these soul beings, we have a soul and we have this personality, we're always on the path of spirituality. To right. green parts, whether we want to see it or not, right? Or whether we fight it or are blinded by it. Yeah, and what happens is when you come into body, you cross the veil, so to speak. That's the term that is used. And once you're behind the veil, uh, the average person forgets completely, at least for some portion of the lifetime, that they're an eternal being, that they're infinite, limitless, extremely powerful, uh, made literally from the energy of unconditional love. All of these things are completely forgotten. And that's part of the design because by going through a process of forgetting and then hopefully remembering through experiences in the lifetime, it leads to a more profound self-knowing. Uh, you come to understand yourself in a way that you really couldn't before you forgot who you really are, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say I'm walking through my life and my personality and I have some challenge, whether it be like, because your books talk a lot about a lot of the challenges that humans have, you know, um, you've gone from talking about relationships to diseases to interactions, you know, that aren't so great, like rape. And, and I mean, you've talked about some serious stuff and examples, and I don't want to like uncover those because I want you to talk through. But how do you feel this knowing the sense of the soul driving the car per se from the heart when you're in the midst of one of those? You, you have to understand how the soul is going to communicate with you. 
The soul does not, usually does not speak to you in words the way the egoic mind does. Mm -hmm. The soul will communicate for the most part through feeling. Feelings are the language of the soul. So you get a feeling, and in particular, feelings of excitement or joy. Excitement and joy are communications direct from your soul saying, yes, this is the path for you. There's something here for you to follow that has to do with your pre-birth plan. The soul will also speak to you through aspiration and inspiration, the things you aspire to do and the things you feel inspired by. Those feelings are coming direct from your soul. And this is where I think a lot of people lose their way because they expect and they want that the soul is going to communicate to them in words the way the egoic mind does. And if they don't hear this voice from on high, they think, well, uh, where's my soul? I'm not getting any guidance here. Where are my spirit guides? Well, they don't recognize that they are getting the guidance because it's in a form they're not looking for. They haven't been taught to look for it. But if you know to look for excitement, joy, aspiration, and inspiration, then when those things come, you say, aha, these feelings are coming from my soul, from my guides. They're trying to tell me to go down this path. I understand the meaning of these feelings and I will follow them and trust them. So trust, trust is a big thing for, I think, following your spiritual path. Trust is huge for people to, well, and, and like, okay, so let's use this example. You talk about excitement and joy. Okay, well, in the last like year and a half, we've not had a lot of excitement and joy, right? We've been in this middle of the, probably the largest, you know, suffering that we could ever be in between the pandemic and, you know, the, the racial inequity and any, and all the other inequities that we're starting to pay attention to, to, you know, lots of health issues that are coming about. So how does someone in your experience, how do I recognize what excitement and joy is in these, I'm going to say these little moments, because like in the last year and a half, we haven't had huge amounts of moments of that. We've had, you have to kind of search through um, and excavate, excavate these little bitty moments of joy and excitement, right? I think that's spot on. And the people who did that during the lockdowns are the ones who really benefited from it uh, because it was a magnificent opportunity to go within, to meditate more, to spend time alone in nature, to pray, uh, to do whatever your spiritual practice consists of. So the people who looked for little sparks of excitement and joy in meditation, in nature, uh, in prayer, and followed those impulses, they made very good use of this time and they connected with their soul and with their guides in ways that they otherwise might not have. Uh, the people who did nothing but watch Netflix the whole time, uh, and not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but from the soul's perspective, that would not have been the best use of the time. Okay. So the soul is going to communicate to us through these impulses and nudges, let's say, as, hey, wait a minute. Did you see this experience you were just in this moment? You, this was joy. You, do you want more of this? And so when you're feeling this joy, is that the communication that we want to continue to have with our soul and say, yes, I want more of that? That's exactly what you want to do. And the way you convey that message to your soul is through gratitude. Uh, feel gratitude. 
speak gratitude out loud, think it in your thoughts, express it in your prayers. Uh, gratitude is the way you give feedback to the universe and tell the universe, I would like more of this, whatever this is. Okay. So, so then because we're in this personality and we know that there's that duality and that polarity, can the soul also be communicating through the opposite of joy as if you're saying, wait a minute, I'm recognizing this. I don't want any of that. Is that also the soul speaking or is that something else in your experience? That, that is also the soul. And I talk about this a lot in my books. I refer to it as a learning through opposites life plan. Mm -hmm. So very commonly, the pre-birth plan created by the soul will be to experience the exact opposite of what you eventually want to experience. And the reason for doing it that way is that by experiencing the opposite, that experience, whatever it might be, is intended to provide you with both the opportunity and the motivation to create the opposite, to go where you eventually want to go. So to take a common example, uh, somebody who wants, who plans before they're born to work on compassion, they want to cultivate deeper compassion. Somebody like that would very often plan to incarnate in a family in which they're treated with a profound lack of compassion. The lack of compassion in the external environment is intended to drive the person within, where hopefully they will cultivate self-compassion. And then having done that, at some point later in life, they can take the self-compassion they've created and now turn it outward in service to others, offer that compassion to other people. Okay, I'm sitting here going, wow, that's a lot of responsibility for a lifetime. Because if, if you're in that learning through opposites, that's, that's a huge awakening for you to see the opposite, right? It, it, it's a huge awakening if you're going to go through the, the growth process consciously. But there are many people who will cultivate greater compassion uh, in a less conscious manner. They don't think of it in terms of a pre-birth plan. They may not even have any concept of what a soul is. But nevertheless, the experience of having incarnated into a family that treats them with a lack of compassion still has the intended effect. It just, it, it's just the case that they're not going through that pathway in a really conscious way. They don't understand what's happening to them. So once you bring the consciousness and the understanding to it, then it sort of relieves all the, the painful suffering that some, that a, that in a, in a lifetime has brought to that person. Is that what you're saying? I don't know that I would say it relieves all of it, but it relieves a lot of it. And the primary way in which it relieves a lot of the pain and suffering is that you see the deeper meaning. There's really nothing more painful, I think, than to be suffering and at the same time believe that the suffering literally has no deeper meaning or purpose. That, that is really an awful situation to be in. But once you believe that there's deeper meaning and purpose, and in particular, if you know what the deeper meaning and purpose are, say to cultivate compassion, then that sense of purpose and meaning really diminishes the amount of suffering. And it also allows you to learn the underlying lessons in a more conscious and much less arduous manner. So the universe no longer has to keep bringing you these experiences that are learning through opposites, because now you're doing it 
willfully. You're doing it consciously of your own accord. So then your life experiences will sort of shift. Exactly. Yeah. To something that will teach you compassion, but in a maybe softer way, not the exact opposite. Yeah. And this is something that I've seen quite a bit in my work, uh, both working with mediums and channels and doing private sessions for the people whose stories went in the books. And also as a hypnotist doing between lives regressions, there's this very clear pattern that I see again and again, where if somebody does not learn the underlying lesson the first time it's presented to them, it tends to come back around in a similar but increasingly intense form. And if they still don't get the lesson, it will come back again in a similar but even more intense form. And it keeps going like that until eventually they get the lesson. So a lot of the people that I interviewed for my books, it's interesting, I had never heard this expression until I started researching for the books, but they kept saying the same thing to me. They would say, the universe hit me over the head with the cosmic two by four. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a very clear pattern. It happens again and again. I think that a lot of when you talk about like the soul giving you nudges, it's about paying attention to, yes, those life patterns and, and becoming, I mean, we've, we've talked about it on this show and I've heard it all over and I've read it. The awareness, our awareness is like a muscle. It has to be strengthened and strengthened. And so that we become more and more aware to actually start to say, Hey, wait a minute. I'm sitting in this moment that's challenging and somewhat painful, and I don't really like the discomfort, but as I sit in silence in it, I'm starting to pay attention. I've been here before. I've had the same experience, different people, slightly different scenario, but it feels the very same thing over and over and over. I need to pay attention to this. What's going on here? Well, it's interesting you describe it that way because that description applies not only to the current incarnation, it often applies to past lives. So when I do a between lives regression, for example, it contains an abbreviated past life regression that actually happens before we get to the between lives state. And very often spirit will show the client a past life in which they were working on exactly the same lesson they're working on in this lifetime. And they did really well with it. And the reason they do that is as a way of saying to the person, look, you succeeded mastering this in this past life, so you can do it again. Believe in yourself. So does the soul continue to come into new lives with the same lesson needing to be learned, just in a different way? That that happens as long as the soul wants to keep going deeper with whatever the lesson is. So, you know, I talk a lot about divine virtues, Uh, These are qualities that are important to the soul, things like compassion, empathy, patience, unconditional love, acceptance, gratitude, and there are many more. Uh, You could spend many, many lifetimes going deeper and deeper into just a single divine virtue. But my understanding is that at some point, before you've completely mastered a virtue, most souls will say, okay, I feel complete with this. We've gone far enough with this virtue. Let's go on to this new arc of lives, so to speak, in which we are going to work on two or three other virtues that we haven't worked on before. But you can, it's like peeling the layers of an onion. You can go deeper and deeper and deeper into every single virtue. So, how do we get the soul to say we don't want any more of that? Huh. I'm just saying, it, it just is like, because sometimes I know people have been through so much in their life, you will hear them say, I just am saying enough, like enough already. I'm exhausted. 
So there, there's this intersection between free will and pre-birth planning. Uh, and when we talk about pre-birth planning, it does not mean that everything is set in stone. Actually, hardly anything is set in stone. It's planned as a possibility or a probability in almost all cases. So let me, let me give you a hypothetical story. Let's say that there is a soul who we will call Sally. And Sally has had a number of past lives in which she made certain plans before coming into body. But when she got here, she deferred to the wishes of others. She let other people tell her how to live her life. So she has a life review at the end of each of those incarnations, sees that she has this tendency to give her power away. And she says, all right, I want to heal that. So my plan in the next incarnation is that I'm gonna carry this tendency to defer to the wishes of others back into body energetically, not for the purpose of expressing it, but rather for the purpose of healing it. So that's Sally's plan. Now let's say there's another soul in her soul group who we will just call George arbitrarily. And let's say George has had the opposite experience in a number of past lives. He's dominated others inappropriately, used power over others inappropriately. When he had his life review at the end of those incarnations, he saw this. And like Sally, he said, I don't want to be like that. I want to heal this. I'm going to take it back into body energetically for the purpose of healing it. Now, because they're in the same soul group, Sally knows about George's plan. So she goes to him before either one of them is born. And she says something like, hey, George, I'm taking back into body the tendency to defer to the wishes of others for the purpose of healing it. I see that you are carrying into body the opposite tendency, the tendency to dominate others, also for the purpose of healing it. Why don't you and I make a pre-birth plan that will marry, say, at the age of 30? And although we know this is likely to be a turbulent relationship, our hope is that I will learn to stand up for myself and you will learn to respect the wishes of others. George says, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Now, let's say that when Sally is in body and 25 years old, she gets a job with an employer who is running roughshod over her, treating her with a profound lack of respect and kindness. Let's also say that she marshals her internal resources and she takes a stand. She says to her boss, stop. If you want me to keep working here, you must treat me with respect and kindness. In the moment she takes a stand like that, there's a huge increase in her vibration. If she can sustain the heightened vibration until she's 30, now one of two things will happen. Either she and George never meet because by virtue of the law of attraction, her vibration is up here, he's down here, they're gonna go right by each other. Or if they do meet, there's no chemistry, there's no connection, again, because their vibrations are so dissimilar. They have one date and then they never see each other again. So in this hypothetical story, Sally has used her free will to learn the plan lesson, which was to stand up for herself, which in turn obviates the need for the plan challenge, the turbulent marriage. Now, somebody will say, well, what about George? Does he still have to learn to respect the wishes of others? Yes. And he will magnetize to himself something else that will give him the experience he needs to learn that. But in this case, Sally learned it through her free will. So the difficult marriage simply never takes place. So would that be why, like in someone's lifetime, we talk about, um, you know, once you've evolved to a certain level or you become awakened, then all of a sudden certain experiences and maybe relationships just sort of fall away. They just sort of, because you're moving to different, um, as you say, vibrational levels, 
And so who you were hanging around or the experiences you were drawing in or the things that even interested you because you were attracted to them, right? So that law of attraction, you were brought together with those relationships, environments, experiences to teach you and to learn what you needed to learn. They just sort of go and you move to another vibrational level. Is that that, that's exactly what happens. And it happens all the time in all areas of life, as long as the person is growing. Um, a lot of times people don't understand that this is what's happening. And so they find that, for example, some old friendships that they've had for decades, it, it just doesn't interest them so much anymore. And they feel this terrible sense of sadness, like we used to be so close, what happened? They think it's a bad thing. Well, it isn't from the soul's perspective, one person's vibration increased much more than another's. And so they're not an energetic match for each other the way they used to be. And it's better just to gently let go in those cases rather than try to hold on. The same thing happens with uh, hobbies, the way you spend your free time, the food you eat. Um, speaking for myself, you know, as I've gone down the spiritual path, I stopped watching TV years ago. It just didn't interest me anymore. My diet changed completely and is much more healthy now. That kind of thing happens a lot. And if you understand that it's due to a change in vibration, it's easier to accept it. So you had talked about a minute ago when you were explaining uh, the pre-birth planning and free will, you talked about expressing and healing. Are those two separate forms of, of growth and movement? Are healing and expression two separate forms of growth? I mean, you talked about something being expressed and then you could go deeper and actually heal it. So are those two different forms of learning? I think what I said, if, if I'm hearing your question correctly, when I talk about the divine virtues, I often use the phrase cultivate and express because both are equally important to the soul. In other words, from your soul's perspective, it's not sufficient simply to come into body and cultivate a quality like compassion. What your soul then wants you to do is take the divine virtues you've cultivated and turn them outward in service to others. That's the form of expression it takes. And that is true in 100% of the pre-birth plans I've looked at. There is always a service component. So the first portion of the life is focused more on uh, learning whatever lessons you came to learn. And then later in life, as a general rule, you take what you've learned or the cult of the virtues you've cultivated, and you offer them back to the world in some form of service. So how do you define healing? Healing, if it's abiding healing, enduring healing, is an increase in vibration. All abiding healing results from an increase in vibration. So as we tune in more to our soul and strengthen that awareness to live a soul-driven life, then that just increases the healing power we have within ourselves. That, that's exactly right. And, and more specifically, what it refers to, uh, and it's really very simple, is just being the most loving person you can possibly be. You know, there are many, many different lessons that we work on, many different divine virtues that we cultivate. But they all have a common denominator. If you boil all of the lessons and virtues down, the common denominator is that we are learning lessons in how to better give and receive love. That's what every single person is doing on the face of the planet, as I understand it. 
So everyone has the same soul's desire. The same bottom line desire, but it takes different forms. So one person, okay. Yeah. So one person is interested in compassion. Another person is interested in gratitude. Another person focuses on empathy, many different forms, but the content is love. So you, I love how you uh, use the Course in Miracles, A Course in Miracles, in all of your books and and stuff because I absolutely resonate so much with the teachings in that book. And one of the uh, one of the quotes that you use is perception requires the right instrument. And you talk about what instrument are we using for learning? And you you talk about the heart as really the only instrument for learning. Tell us what you mean by that. So perception requires the right instrument means literally that you need to use an instrument that will measure whatever it is you're trying to measure. So when we talk about making a shift, for example, from head to heart uh, and leading more heartful life or giving, receiving love more, you would have to be using an instrument that perceives love. That instrument would be the heart. The mind understands love as an intellectual concept, but it doesn't really feel or express love the way the heart does. So trying to, to understand love with the mind is kind of like trying to measure weight with a thermometer or temperature with a bathroom scale. It's the wrong instrument. The right instrument is the heart. So how do we shift that in our lifetime of being on earth and in these personalities that seem to be so dominant in our life? How can we, I mean, in your experience working and listening to people and interviewing and, and also even working with the mediums and the channelers who are, who are accessing this, you know, infinite amount of information on how we can be here on earth and in these personalities how do we start doing that? How do we start living more heart-centered lives in that way? A large part of it is just having the intention to do that. Set the intention and then hold the intention. Reaffirm the intention every day. If you pray on a regular basis, every time you pray, ask spirit, source, God, whatever term you wanna use, for assistance in fulfilling your intention to lead a more heartful life. And what you might say is something like, um, I would like to rebalance the energies between my head and my heart. Uh, I feel they've become a little bit too strong in the head. I'd like them to be stronger in the heart and I'd like the heart to lead the way. Could you please bring to me opportunities to lead a more heartful life? Help me please to recognize the opportunities when they present themselves and then help me please to actually do it to lead a more heartful existence. Teach me, show me what that would look like. And when you say a prayer like that to the universe, uh, that's expressed in general terms, but with a very clear intention, then you've marshaled all the non-physical support that's there for you, your guides, your guardian angels, the masters who work with you and God or source itself, they all come in and they're all there doing exactly what you have just asked them to do. Then it's up to you to recognize the help and recognize the situations and act in a heartful way. And doing that requires courage. There will be a lot of situations that you will recognize as opportunities to lead a more heartful life, 
but actually doing it in the moment is going to be scary and that requires courage. I so much of what you say resonates to so much of what we've talked about on the show or even what I believe in terms of like there's so much non-physical support and I think that I love how you give us that prayer and and please our audience like take the prayer that Rob just shared and use your language formulate it to where it just comes from that heart place of you know setting this 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 will or awareness out into the universe and saying this is what I want for my life show me the way and then believing that there's that non-physical support because I think in the personality we've been conditioned to believe that we have to only have the support in the way it looks in this very personality driven existence. And I love how you say the non-physical support, because I think we, that's the big balance too, is understanding there's more to our life than what we just see right here. Yeah. And a very good way to grow in faith and trust in your non-physical support is to keep what I call a guidance journal or a guidance log, write down uh, on a piece of paper, every single time you feel that you're getting guided by spirit. And if you do this over a long enough period of time, you will eventually have this enormous list. And then anytime you have a, a moment of feeling like you've been abandoned by spirit, you're not being heard, pull out the list, look at all these times you were guided, that will help your faith and trust to really grow. That's a really great idea because our personality and our ego wants the evidence to prove itself. So it's a great way to build your evidence up to say, yeah, I mean, because I think that there are some of us who are out there and we just automatically trust it and we're willing to flow and go along with it. And then there are others in the personality that need that proof. So that guidance journal is an exceptional way of just gathering your truth up constantly and the evidence to support this, this existence. Let's talk about, um, I, your books are like your soul's plan, your soul's gift, and then your soul's love. Where did those titles come from? It's very interesting. You talk about the plan first, then the gift, and then getting back to love almost as if that's the process. Well, the, the way the, the titles evolved, the first book, Your Soul's Plan, I originally self-published under the title Courageous Souls. Now, the reason I chose that title, it's not actually a reference to the soul. It's a reference to the incarnate personality because it takes a tremendous amount of courage to plan a life on earth. And I think even more with plan once you're here. Uh, but then a publisher picked it up. They changed, with my permission, they changed the name to Your Soul's Plan which I think gives people a better idea of what the book is actually about. Your Soul's Gift, there are some chapters, uh, and you alluded to them, uh, chapters on rape and incest in Your Soul's Gift that are extremely challenging material. And the word gift was chosen deliberately because it's very difficult to look at experiences like that as a gift, but that's ultimately what I'm trying to help people do if they're open to that concept. So that's where Your Soul's Gift came from. And the Your Soul's Love, uh, that book, which just came out a couple months ago, is focused on challenges related to romantic relationships or the lack thereof. Uh, and that's why the word love is in the chapter, in the title. Yeah, it, they're, I mean, they all have a distinct little, little theme to them, but then there's that underlying that we came here to learn, which I think is another Course in Miracles 
learned teaching is that we came here to either learn or love, and you're going to be one or the other. Um, so I think your books really support that process. In all of your interviews and all the work that you've done with those stories that are in those books, what was by far the most impactful one for you? Or they, were there more than one? Well, they, they're all impactful from my perspective, but the, the most dramatic one uh, is in the first book, Your Soul's Plan. There's a chapter about the pre-birth planning of accidents, which I'm putting in quotes here because they, they aren't really accidents. Uh, there are two stories in that chapter, and one of them is about a woman who was blown up in a bomb explosion. Uh, and we, working with one of the mediums, we went into her pre-birth planning session. We're actually able to hear the conversation she had with the future bomber uh, when they were setting up the potential for this. And basically, her intention was to be a gifted healer in this lifetime. And the plan was that if the bomber did go ahead and plant the bomb, in other words, if he was not successful healing himself and healing the anger he was carrying into body, then she would work with that, uh, utilize the devastating effects of the bomb explosion to heal herself first, and then take all of the wisdom and knowledge she'd acquired about healing and turn it outward in service to others. So the, the bomb explosion itself was just horrific. Uh, flames scorched this woman's body from head to toe. She lost a couple of fingers. Uh, when she got to the hospital, doctors actually had to hold magnets over her eyeballs to extract the shrapnel from the pipe. So it, it was a level of suffering that is just unimaginable to the average person. Well, her recovery took two years and 10 reconstructive surgeries. At one point during that two-year period, she was lying in her hospital bed in a tremendous amount of pain when she suddenly heard a voice inside her head, a voice that was not her own. And it turns out that the force from the explosion had opened up her psychic gift. She was hearing her spirit guide. And the guide said to her, as she was lying in the hospital bed in so much pain, you planned this. And of course, she said, why on earth would I have done that? And the guide said, you wanted to have a lifetime as a gifted healer. And your plan is to take everything you learned about healing and offer it eventually to other people. And that's exactly what she did. She, when she recovered from the surgeries, she went back to school, got a PhD in speech language pathology, set up a private clinical practice, and at this point has healed literally thousands of people. And the only reason she can do any of this is because she healed herself first from that bomb explosion. Now, what makes her story really impactful in my mind is the way she now talks about the bomber. She said to me, I have completely forgiven the person who planted that bomb, which in and of itself is remarkable given the kind of suffering she went through. But then she said something even more amazing. She said, Rob, I'm deeply grateful to the person who planted that bomb. And she really and truly means that. Mm -hmm. If she can work with an awareness of her pre-birth plan to get to a place of forgiveness and gratitude after an experience like that, then you and I and anybody else who hears this conversation, whatever our challenges might be, we can do it too. That's how powerful an understanding of pre-birth planning can be. Well, and I think that story just encompasses so much of what we've talked about here today with, I mean, the idea that you know what you're here to learn and, and surrender and awareness and being willing to learn these things and then being willing to shift and then outwardly take it or alchemize exactly what you've been through 
and turn it into how can I create a servitude for the rest of this lifetime here? And I mean, it just embodies so much of everything we've talked about today. It's a great story. And I think a a courageous story because you talked a lot about how every step of the way on the soul's journey has something to do with courage to open up and, and, and see the courage within ourselves and then to act upon that courage. And what a great story for just the willingness to, um, yeah, I, I, and, and the words awareness and forgiveness are just really um, commingling with each other in terms of like, how do we live here? Well, you mentioned courage. Uh, when I teach about the divine virtues in my workshops, I read a quote to people, and I, I can't remember now who said this, but the quote is, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And what that means is that regardless of which virtues you're working on in this lifetime, you'll need courage to apply them when life tests you. And this is why I believe that courage is actually the single most important of all the virtues, because without it, you can't actually work on any of the others. No. No, I, I totally, and, and I think without courage, you can't operate from the heart because yeah. you have to have this willfulness to choose something that that seems so personality driven that looks really good on the outside, right? But to choose its exact opposite, which really serves your soul and just, you know, joyfully excites your heart, that takes courage sometimes to choose, um, being on the island versus being in the midst of the city. You know, they're two different, they're two different existences. And sometimes choosing the soul-driven life, it takes a heck of a lot of courage. Well, I mean, what's interesting about that, the word courage itself comes from the French word, which I won't pronounce correctly, but it's something like courier, which means heart. Yeah. Yeah. I've read that somewhere. Just as you were saying that, I'm like, I remember seeing that in a book or something that came across just recently. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I think the word courage, if, I think if we can just look in the mirrors of our own lives and look in real mirrors and see ourselves as courageous people, courageous entities, even the slightest little bit of courage can, can, can help you take big action. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's the most important of all the virtues. You can't work on the others without it. Uh, and people say, well, how do I develop courage? It's like that. I think it's a Nike commercial that says, just do it. Yeah, that, That's pretty much what it is. You, you feel the fear, but you do it anyway. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great way to kind of get us to this wrap up. Rob, this has been really so so much exciting learning and so knowledgeable and so insightful and so wise of the stories you have to say and the things you have to share. So thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your true gift of, I mean, a huge willingness to be courageous, to even demonstrate your curiosity, to dig into something that you were feeling and run with it in terms of writing books and helping people and listening to your own heart and your soul as the guidance and being just a huge um, example for us on how can we do this and do it in a very courageous yet mindful sort of way. 
Well, th thank you. I really appreciate you saying that because that's exactly the way I've been trying to live my life. And uh, I do have a much more fulfilling life now that I've gone down this spiritual road. So I'm glad I, I did it that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely, your books have been great. And so again, your www.youroursoulsplan.com is where they can go to get example, the chapters that some of the chapters to read, to see if this is again, something that's more um, curiosity for you, because that's really what's going to draw our listeners into following this plan. But I, again, highly recommend if you were in a space where you're just starting to question why are things happening or what am I here for? What's a good, what's my purpose? Rob's books are a great way and they're written so concretely and practical that you will start to just, I, I guarantee you, see your life differently um, and, and understand, I think, in a, in a largely loving way. So, um, and then Rob, how else can people get, get in touch with you? Well, um, the easiest thing is the contact form at yoursoulsplan.com or uh, rob.schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, at yoursoulsplan.com. And if you go to the website, uh, I would suggest check out the events page. I have a workshop I do about every six weeks online. The whole focus of the workshop is helping you to figure out what you planned before you were born and how you're doing in terms of fulfilling your plan and how you can better fulfill your plan. Uh, and then check out the schedule a session page. We didn't really have time to talk about it, but I do a form of hypnosis called a between lives soul regression in which you talk with very wise, loving, non-physical beings who know what your pre-birth plan is, and they can answer literally any question you have about your life. It's, it's a transformative experience. That is awesome. That is so awesome. So again, you guys will have, those of you listening today, we'll have all of Rob's information on the show notes, and you can definitely, I would highly recommend, again, getting his books um, and finding his website, looking through that. If you are questioning, if you are in a place of curiosity and you're wondering, follow Rob, get in touch with his stuff, uh, take his courses. I guarantee you, you'll, you'll just be awakened in a hugely amazing way. Um, so as we wrap up today, Rob, I want to ask you our high five questions, just because our audience, it's fun to get to know our, our guests in a different way. Um, what inspires you? Uh, love, loving people. And whenever you said that, I could just feel those moments that you had in your initial mo uh, awakening where you just felt this huge love and, and because it's almost unrecognizable in some way and yet so confirming in another way. I think that's the kind of love that is our ongoing experience when we're home on the other side. But here it's very rare. And so when it happens... It makes quite an impression. You know, the experience only lasted about an hour, but it completely changed everything about my life. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I can feel into that right now. And I just can see and understand where that might come from. How do you have fun? Nature. I like to go hiking. Um, any particular place is your favorite place to hike? Well, right now I'm, I'm living in Colorado and we're up in the mountains for the summer. So, uh, I could just step outdoors and go in any direction and find a good trail somewhere. Okay. You're in my favorite place. In fact, we're going there in a few weeks. I love Colorado. It's our all-time favorite place for our family. So I'm right there with you. What's one thing you cannot live without? Uh, spirituality. Hmm. 
That's awesome. What does freedom mean to you? It means that you are no longer completely identified with or controlled by the egoic mind. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's profound. That just kind of shot at my heart just now. Whew. That's good. What are you grateful for? Friends, family, spiritual growth, uh, good food, nature. Those would be the main things. Awesome. Thank you again, Rob, for joining us today. This has been just enlightening for me too. I mean, even though it's the work that I do too, it's just, I love digging into some of these concepts to really make them more practical and understandable for a lot of people. So thank you for the work that you're doing. It's profound. It's amazing. It's so needed. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of people do. So thank you again for being on the show. You're welcome. And thank you for having the show. I think what you're doing is a, a beautiful form of service to the world. And I have no doubt that you're changing lives. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you listeners for, for being with us today on Living the Liminal. Um, you know, this week, remember who you are and the power you have to be both the student and the teacher within every one of your life experiences. So what does that mean? It means as you listen today, whatever resonated with you, share it with someone else. Share what you learn every day. Share your life because you are a beautiful soul and I love you. Peace out, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions, we provide for you the show notes. You can email me at christy at christypeck.com. Or if you are listening on the cool feature on the Anchor app, you can leave a voice comment or a voice question, and we'll be collecting those and using them on future shows. How fun would that be? You know, recently, a good friend of mine gave me this quote, and a gift over the Christmas holidays. And it really has resonated with me. And I want it to be a part of our, our great presence of the year 2021. Be bold enough to use your voice, brave enough to listen to your heart, and strong enough to live the life you've always imagined. Whatever you've taken from today's episode, share it with someone else. Share the learning that you're acquiring every single day by being more aware in your life, by being awakened in your life, by being brave enough in your life, by being bold enough in your life, and by being strong enough in your life, because you really, really are. May you have a joyful week, remember who you are, and live the liminal. I love you, peace out my friends.